Would you open your Bibles up to 1 Corinthians chapter 3? We're back in the book of 1 Corinthians. Had our little detour with the Trinity, and I hope you were blessed and enjoyed that. But now we're going to dive back into our verse-by-verse study of 1 Corinthians. If you're visiting with us, I'm Pastor Ben, and, uh, and I will be delivering to you the word of the Lord. To start this morning, I want you to imagine a large, fertile garden. I want you to imagine a garden with all sorts of vegetables, maybe fruits. There's an owner of that garden, and this garden is his prized possession. He loves to have that garden be blooming with with much uh, fruit. He has laborers. He's hired for that garden, and so there are some who who cultivate the soil, there's some who weed, there's some who water, there's some who care for the plants, and there's different laborers with different jobs. All of them are working hard. And as you consider that garden, you consider that owner and those laborers, what do you think the goal is for that garden? Like, why do they have a garden? Well, it's not because they want the soil to look pretty. Right? For people to go by and be like, oh, that's some nice dirt out there. Of course, if it was Simi Valley, it'd be expensive dirt, wouldn't it? But that's not the purpose of a garden. It's, it's not so that people will uh, see some plants and think, oh, wow, that's very beautiful. It's not just to put people to work. It's not just a place for people to get a job. There's actually a purpose for the garden. The goal of the garden is to have plants that are growing and producing fruit. And the Bible describes the church like a garden, like a field. And in the field, the word of God is sown, and souls come to spiritual life. And those souls are like plants that are, that are to spiritually grow. And there, there are people in the church, leaders in the church, who are like laborers, and some plant, and some water, some weed, but God is the one who's doing the work. God is the one that's causing spiritual growth. And the aim of those in the church are for those souls to, to grow and to produce spiritual fruit. And a fruitful church is a church that honors the maker, the, the master of the field. So today we're speaking about spiritual growth, hindrances to spiritual growth. Now, when I say spiritual growth, what do you think of? If you hear the terms church growth or spiritual growth, sometimes people think about money. They think about the bulletin and how much money is coming in. Don't think about that when you hear church growth or spiritual growth. Or sometimes people think about the, the attendance, how many people are in attendance. That's not spiritual growth. A biblical view of church growth and spiritual growth is growth that's found right inside here. It's heart growth. It's the growth of a person that's growing more in their relationship with God. It's individual souls. It's a corporate body that's becoming more and more like Jesus Christ. Spiritual growth is not gauged in the amount of knowledge a person has. The Corinthian church, they had knowledge, but that didn't mean that they were spiritually mature. 
Spiritual growth is not gauged by the abundance of spiritual gifts. We'll talk about this later on, but this church had many spiritual gifts, but they still were spiritually immature. Spiritual growth is not measured in years. I mean, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter five years after he planted the church, yet he still said they were spiritually immature. So what is spiritual growth? Well, spiritual growth is developing a closer relationship with God. It's growing in your love for God. It's growing to be more and more like Christ. It's growing in discernment. It's growing in your ability to, to discern good from evil, to, to depend upon God more in prayer. And so the question for us this morning about spiritual growth is, are you growing spiritually? I mean, if you think about plants, if you have some plants in your house, probably you walk by and you look at them and you evaluate them. Like, are they growing? How are they doing? Are, are, how is their growth? Are, is there anything hindering their growth? Maybe they're not in the sun. Maybe they're not getting enough water. In other words, you evaluate the growth of those plants. And so this morning, we want to evaluate the growth in our own spiritual lives. And I think those questions I just asked about those plants are good Ones for us to ask ourselves, are we growing? Have you grown spiritually this year? I mean, if you look at May of 2021 and you look at May now coming up of 2022, have you grown in the past year spiritually? In what ways have you grown? What are, what's hindering you from growing spiritually? And if you hear this and you think, well, you know, I'm fine. I don't think I, I don't know if I've grown or not. Does it really matter? Well, I think I probably should warn you that if that's your answer, then you're probably withering away spiritually and you don't even know it. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, Paul identified two major hindrances to spiritual growth. And so I want to consider where we are spiritually as a church, but particularly individually where you are spiritually, and then consider what are some hindrances to spiritual growth. So we should be in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We're going to read verses 1 through 9. Would you stand with me as I read the scripture? First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1 says, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. But even now you are not ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. 
What are the hindrances to our spiritual growth? Well, the first one that Paul identified here relates to how you do church, how you do church. And so the first hindrance is doing church in the flesh. The idea of doing church in the flesh is that church is for me, church is about me, it's about my preferences, my way, it's about being comfortable, about people serving me, and in the end, the operative word is what? It's me, church is about me. And a person who thinks and lives that way is a person who's spiritually immature. Look at verse 1. He says, but I, brothers. So the, these are Christians. Paul addressed them as brothers, or are those who are in the family of God. And though they had the spirit dwelling within them, he said in verse 1, that I could not address you as spiritual people, as a spiritual person. A spiritual person is a person who has the Spirit, but also is controlled by the Holy Spirit. And that's in contrast to a natural person. And of course, he addressed this in chapter 2, verses 13 through 15. We won't read through that, but you can look at that. In verse 14, he talks about the natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit. That's an unbeliever. They don't have the Holy Spirit, and therefore they reject the things of the Holy Spirit. They're not born again. But then in verses 13, 15, and 16, he says, there are spiritual people. Those are people who have the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit is controlling their thoughts and their actions. The spiritual person is born again and is growing in the Spirit. And if we were to use the metaphor of a field here, we all start off as these spiritual, immature saplings, but we are to grow. We are to be nourished with the word of God by the power of the Spirit. And those verses in 2 Corinthians, or 1 Corinthians chapter 2 teach us that we grow as the word of God renews our mind and the Spirit of God powerfully works within our life. And day by day, we must be changing. We must be growing spiritually. Well, what does that look like? What does it look like? to grow spiritually, it means, frankly, that we are changing to be more like Jesus. And more, it means that we should be able to, to recognize sin more and more in our life, that we're more sensitive to the Holy Spirit and his word. It means we're depending more and more upon the Father in prayer, that we're loving his word more. We're able to take the word and discern what's, what's right and what's wrong, it means that we are longing more for eternity, longing more to be with the Lord, to die as gain because we're with him. To, to grow spiritually means that we're being changed by the spirit in our attitudes, in our habits, in our thinking process. It means that we are producing the, the fruit of the spirit. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the spirit is love and joy Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. In other words, when the Holy Spirit is controlling your thoughts with the word of God, then this is the fruit that will come out in your life. And I always think it's good to work backwards on this and ask ourselves the question, do, do our lives reflect the fruits of the Spirit? 
when you think about your marriage or you think about your home or you think about how you operate in the workplace or even how we operate in here as a church family, are we producing the fruits of the Spirit? Are we growing to, to have more sacrificial love, to, to have more joy in our life? Are we growing as a peacemaker? Are we, are we more patient now than we were four or five years ago? Are we more faithful? Are we more gentle? Do we have more self-control, more spiritual discipline? And as Paul evaluated this church, he was saying, you are not growing spiritually. In verse 3, he says this, but I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people. Why? Because, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. And so why couldn't he address them as people who were spiritual, those who had the spirit and were controlled by the spirit? What hindered their spiritual growth? And it was that they were living in a fleshly way. They were submitting themselves to their own sinful desires instead of the Holy Spirit. And so here Paul identified the root problem for this church and for these believers. And what was the reason that they were not growing? Well, the root of the church's problem was sourced within their hearts. If you were to ask what was the problem in the church of Corinth, it was found within the hearts of the people of the church. In fact, just look through these verses with me. Look at verse 1. Notice how many times... In the first four verses, you see this idea of the flesh. Verse 1, he says that you're acting like people of the flesh as infants in Christ. Look at verse 3. For you are still of the flesh. Later, later on in verse 3. Are you not of the flesh, behaving only in a human way? Verse 4. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? He's saying, your flesh is the root problem. You are following the desires of your flesh. Jesus taught as well that we are all like plants. Remember in Matthew chapter 12, verse 33, he says, the tree, which represents the person, the tree is known by its fruit. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. In other words, the roots of a person are found in his or her heart, and the fruit of a person are found in the thoughts and desires and words and actions of that person's life. So what is in your heart will come out in your life. The root of your heart will produce the fruit of your life. Did you get that? The root of your heart will produce the fruit of your life. So if you have a problem in your home with strife and contention, if there are problems within the church, what's the problem? It's found in the heart. We need to examine our hearts the root problem for the church of Corinth was within their hearts. They were self-centered. They did church for themselves. They operated according to their own desires. And therefore, the fruit of the church was fighting, gossiping, competing. Notice this in verse 3. Notice the root and the fruit. Verse 3. For you are still of the flesh. That's the root. They're fleshly. They have a heart problem. 
They're self-centered. They're, they're self-dependent. They don't depend on the Holy Spirit. They depend on their own flesh, follow their own desires. And then notice he says, the fruit, there is jealousy and strife among you. When we lived in South Carolina, we bought a home in 2008 and the neighborhood was a brand new neighborhood. We were one of the last ones to buy a home in that neighborhood. Before that, there had been a lot of pecan trees in that neighborhood. And uh, in our front yard was the last remaining pecan tree. And it was a big pecan tree. It was beautiful. And, uh, but when we moved in the house, we recognized that pecan tree was dying. And something was wrong with it. We, we, it I mean, it was a wonderful tree. And we were not allowed to cut it down because the whole neighborhood would have come against us if that would have happened. So we weren't allowed to do that. So we got to figure out how to, how to save this tree. And so we had someone come out and they looked at it. Well, what we discovered was when they built the neighborhood, they parked all the trucks on our property and right around the tree. And so they actually had crushed some of the roots on the tree and therefore the tree was dying. And so we did some things to try to help the tree come back to life and, and to try to care for the roots. And in the end of the day, as the roots began to improve, the, the tree began to improve. And eventually, we had seasons, we had years where we had so many pecans, it was insane. One year, we actually did a, a youth activity where all the teens would, in our church go around to different houses. And one of the houses was our house. And they were to have like a scavenger hunt and do different things. And at our house, we gave them plastic bags and gave them one minute to pick up pecans. And... We filled up at least two. Was it two or three garbage bags full? It was maybe two or three. I don't know. We had garbage bags full of pecans. It was insane, the amount of pecans. I mean, everyone in our neighborhood was coming to our tree to pick up pecans. And there was so much fruit. And it came because the roots began to heal and they began to become healthy. And therefore, there was fruit on the tree that fell. The root is the problem and once the root begins to change, then we change. You know, as we look at marriages and as we look at homes, we look at relationships, there's a lot of pain in our society, isn't there? There's a lot of conflict that happened within those relationships. And sometimes we ask the question, why, why do people fight? Why do people have resentment towards other people? Why do why do people act so mean? Why is there anger? Why is there unforgiveness? The fruit reveals the root. And it's because there's a heart that's full of self. Listen, if I'm speaking right now and you're hearing that and you're thinking, yeah, there's a lot of contention in our lives. There's a lot of contention in my life. Each one of us should go back to our heart and ask ourselves, who is controlling my heart? And if, and if, you, if, if you are the Lord of your own heart, then that's the reason why you have so much contention in your life. In fact, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Would you turn there with me? The next book, so not 1 Corinthians, but 2 Corinthians and go to chapter 12. This is the second, really the third letter, but the second letter in our Bibles, the second letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. And I wanna, want you to notice how pervasive this problem was for the Corinthian church, how many problems they had. Because you read, you know, jealousy and strife, and think, wow, that's, that's a problem. But this continued on. Look at verse 20, 2 Corinthians 12, 20. 
Paul's ending his letter. He's going to visit them, and he says, 2 Corinthians 12, 20, For I fear that perhaps when I come, I may find you not as I wish, that you may find me not as you wish, that perhaps there may be, and then he's going to describe some of the problems in the church. There may be quarreling, jealousy, anger, hostility, slander, gossip, conceit, and disorder. Now you read that and you think, is that possible in a church? And you laugh, right? Because yes, because the church are filled with people who are sinners, saved by grace, but still sometimes we give into our own flesh. And years after their conversion, these believers were still in this spiritual quagmire. And the fruit of this church was evident. But what was the root of that? It was their own fleshly hearts. They were submitting themselves to themselves, to their own flesh. The fruit problem is a root problem. When we think about problems within a church, problems within marriages, problems within your home, some of you have kids and you're thinking, why do they fight so much? You ever ask that question, parents and grandparents? Why do they fight so much? Sometimes as a, as a wife or a, a husband, you might think, man, why, why are we having so much problems, so many problems? And it comes back to this, that those problems are the fruit. The root is found within your heart. And the fruit of, of gossip and arguing and resentment comes from a self-centered heart. And the only hope, the only hope for a heart like that is for God's grace to be poured out in your heart. And that can only come through humility. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And that's why in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and chapter 2, he talks about the cross so much. Because the only way you can receive grace is through Christ and his cross. As we humble ourselves before him and say, we're sinners. We deserve to be forever separated from you. But Jesus, you're our savior. You're our Lord. We submit our hearts and our lives to you. And when we're saved, we receive the Holy Spirit. And we live each day like that in humility before our savior and receiving grace from the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that can truly save us and help us. Would you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1? Not chapter 3, but chapter 1. I want you to notice how this whole section started off. Because Paul actually started by talking about problems within the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 10. Paul wrote to you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. So, so Paul began this section calling for unity. There were some who were dividing and causing disunity. And what were they dividing over? It was their leaders. I like this leader I like this leader more than this leader. I don't like that leader. And here's the deceitful part about all this. It actually looked very spiritual. They're arguing about the preaching of God's word. They're arguing about how, how it's best to lead the church. They're arguing about what pastors they like. And the problem with that is that the church 
took those things and used them to fight with each other. And the fruit of their church, the fruit of their actions was gossip and quarreling and strife. And it came from a root of a heart that was centered on self. So doing church in the flesh is a hindrance to spiritual growth. And so let me give you, let me give you two tips here. These are church gardening tips. We are his field. We are his garden. And so I think the first tip here is to pull the weeds of a disgruntled spirit and corrupt speech. If the Lord convicts you by his Holy Spirit of something that you are doing, maybe in your home, you're the one that's causing contention and division. I mean, we're warned as, as fathers that we are not to provoke our children to wrath. And, and sometimes we can be convicted like, oh, I think that maybe what I'm doing right now is actually provoking my child and not helping them grow up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. If that happens, then we need to confess that as sin. If there's contention within the church and you're a part of that, then we need to confess that as sin. And you know what that means? That we go to that person and we say, I sinned against you. Will you forgive me? Not if I made you feel bad or if you have hard feelings towards me. But no, I am the one who is standing in the need of grace. Please forgive me. And it's going before the Lord and saying, Lord, please forgive me. And sometimes we experience other people. We, we, we are involved with other people who we see this. Maybe they're, maybe they're having some type of disgruntled spirit. Or maybe they're quarreling about something. And we see that. And actually we are now in a position that we must help them. We must help pull the weeds out of their life. Galatians 6.1 says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual Spiritual people, those who have the spirit, those who are controlled by the spirit. If you see someone who's following their flesh, he says, it's our responsibility to restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And we don't like that part right there, do we? Because we say, well, that's really, I, I heard that, but that's really their problem. I don't really want to deal with that. Someone's, someone's gossiping, someone's complaining, someone's fighting. And we think, ah, you know what? I'll let you guys alone. Hopefully the Holy Spirit works in your heart. But actually we're not left with that. God actually wants us to pursue that person in love and in, in gentleness and seek to help them kindly, gently pull that, the weeds out of their life. And so we need to pull the weeds of a disgruntled spirit and a corrupt spirit out of our own life. We need to help other people do that. Really, we do that with each other. We are plants. We are also laborers. And then also, another church gardening tip here, we need to nurture our roots. Nurture your roots, nurture your roots, nurture your heart with the word by the Holy Spirit. The only way to have spiritual fruit is to have a heart that lives in submission to the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, without me, you can do nothing. The source of spiritual fruit comes from a relationship with, with the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we need to daily be living in that reality to drink the word of God, to allow the spirit to control our hearts. And second, the second hindrance to our spiritual growth is found in how we view church. The first was how we do church. 
We do church in the flesh, and this is how we view church. This means we view church like the world. The second hindrance to spiritual growth is that we view church like the world. We think that, that church must appeal to me. Look at verse 5. Paul corrected their unbiblical view of church. What then, chapter 3, verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Notice he did not say who, but what? I mean, they knew who Paul was, who Paulus was. Paul planted that church. Apollos came after him and pastored that church. So the question was not who, but what? So what are Apollos? What, what is Paul? What is Paulus? What is Paul? And what's the answer to that? Well, they were pastors. So that could be the answer. Or as some say, it's reverend. I don't like that term. Please don't ever use that for me. But it's, some people really like that. It's like they, they have to have like, I'm the reverend. I'm the pastor. Or Paul, I'm an apostle. But what does he say? What are we? Verse 5. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants. Servants. The word servant here is, is not the Greek word for servant, doulos. But it's actually diakonos. It's the word that's translated deacons in 1 Timothy chapter 3. A deacon, a diakonos, was someone who, who waited on tables or, or served as a laborer in a field. So Paul here describes those who, who lead the church, those who serve in the church, as those who are like field hands. That, that means then that pastors and elders and deacons and frankly whoever else is in any type of leadership position in the church, they are not the kings of the church. They are not the masters, the lords of the church. No pastor owns the church. In fact, no person owns the church. Those who serve the church serve the Lord. And they are just instruments he uses. Look at verse 5. They are servants through whom you believe, believed. They, they work to, to nurture faith. Their role is to, to work to plant the gospel, to, to water the, the plants of the, the, those who are in Christ with the word of God. They're to the plant, they're to water, but God is the one who causes things to grow. In fact, look at verse 5. He says, they are servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. In other words, God owns the church. God owns the laborers. He is the one who places laborers within his church. Jesus said in Luke chapter 10, verse 2, pray earnestly. This is the role of the church. We're to pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Notice that it's his harvest. It's his laborers going into the harvest. Just imagine a field and maybe think of some of these fields that are around Los Angeles here. You have orchards and vineyards and all these types of fields people are working in. Think of all those laborers out there. Who is the most important laborer in a field like that? I mean, is it the one who, who plants the seed? Is it the one who, who reaps the harvest? Is it the one who, who cares for it during the process? Who's the most important one? And what's the answer to that? None of them are the most important ones. 
Because it's not about them. It's about the plants. It's about the one who owns that field. And so here what you see is the church is pictured as a field, as a garden. You are saved by the grace of God. And you are like one of God's plants in his garden and you are to grow by the grace of God. Leaders are laborers. They are to plant the seeds of the gospel. They're to water the souls with the word. What we're doing right now is we're watering souls with the word of God. They are to protect the church by pulling out the thistles that will harm growth. Church leaders are placed there by God for the growth of souls and for the glory of the master. This is God's ideal for the church. And here's the problem. The problem becomes when we start to view church from a worldly perspective. When we don't have God's view of church, but we have the world's view of church. And what's the world's view of church? It's that the church is mine and the church is for me and the church must appeal to me. And the idea is I I evaluate the church based upon how does it make me feel? How does it serve me? Is it productive to me? And you will not grow as a Christian if you think church is about you. In fact, the church in Corinth, Corinth really believed this about the church. They believed we own the church. The leaders of the church serve at our pleasure. We expect leaders to make the church successful. We judge leaders based upon measured results. Now, if you read that and you look at that and you go, well, what's wrong with that? That's an unbiblical view of the church. And unfortunately, there are many churches in America and many people who call themselves Christians who have this view of the church. We own the church. The leaders of the church serve at our pleasure. We expect leaders to make the church successful. We judge leaders based upon measured results. This and this should happen, therefore they're successful. If it doesn't happen, they're not successful. Let me give you an illustration. There's a movie that I don't recommend. It's called When God Left the Building. And a pastor stated in that movie his mission as a pastor. And listen to this. He said this. I believe... The pastors are to keep the membership up, keep it fortified, keep everyone feeling good about being there, keep people desiring to come there and wanting to be there. Now, again, some people listen to that and they go, that sounds about right, but it's not biblical. Many people believe that, that it's the role of the pastors and really just of the church to, to make sure that there's, there's a high membership, that, that everyone's happy, and that people are wanting to still come and wanting to be there. And I hope you notice some of the problems with that statement. First of all, God is completely missing from that mission statement. Did you notice that? Like, who is the one who causes growth? Well, according to that mission statement, it's the pastor It's the people of the church. It's the strategies they have. Also, the mission revolves around keeping people happy. Keeping people content. The goal of the church then is to keep the numbers up, to keep the giving up, to keep the attendance up. And that is a worldly philosophy of ministry. 
The reality is, though, many churches operate in this way, right? It's, it's, it's on Sunday morning, it's, we, we consider how, many, how much was given in the offering, how many people were here, and therefore we judge the success or failure of a church. And then everything has to be about attracting people, right? So, so our, our church has to be like a theme park. Like, you got to keep the mood up. You got to keep the feelings up, right? Let's, let's lower the lights and let's, let's really feel this, people. Let's really feel this. Let's, let's manipulate the people to, to give, right? We have boxes in the back and like, like uh, you need to give and I, let's do a campaign on this. Let's campaign so that, that we can get the, the finances up. There's a church over in the valley. I think I told you this once. There's a church in the valley in, in February that started a campaign. Um, or I guess the pastor preached, and he said that if you give this year and you're not satisfied, we'll give you your money back. As if it's some kind of infomercial. As if we're selling some kind of timeshares here. Well, they don't give you your money back, so don't worry about that one. I discard that one right there. And the problem is, in a, in a, with a philosophy like that, you don't call out sin. People might leave, right? You don't want church restoration, church discipline, because, you know, that might not go the right way. And, and those who view the church like that put the attendee in the place of God. And they worship the people rather than the Lord of the field. Look at verse 5. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. So, so if a church says we own the church, the leaders of the church serve at our pleasure, what does the Bible actually teach? Who is the one who owns the church? It's God. He owns the church. Laborers are appointed by God. They ultimately serve God. And the problem, I think, that many Many churches, many pastors have is when they think that church growth is about numbers and it's up to them. And if growth is up to me, if it's up to me as a pastor, if it's like, if I'm the one that's in charge of growing the church, if it's up to me, then you know what I got to do? I got to figure out how to have some kind of worldly strategy, some kind of marketing strategy to get people in here. I got to figure out how to manipulate people to convince them to come. That's one of the reasons why I am completely against any type of fundraising. Let's do a fundraiser for this. You know why I'm against that? It's I, as a pastor or any of the elders, we are not here to try to convince you to give. If you give, it should be because, be because God lays it upon your heart. We have these offering boxes in the back, and you notice we don't really talk about them very much. Well, that's not a very good successful strategy for raising money in the church, Pastor Ben. Guess what? As elders, we could care less. Because we are not here to raise a bunch of money. If that's the case, let's go get another job somewhere else, right? God is the one who provides for our church. And he provides through the sacrificial giving of God's people. If you love God, you will give. Right? We can manipulate people to give. We could stand up here and guilt people into it. We could make fake promises and say, well, if you do this, this, and this, your business is going to be successful. Give $10 in the offering, and it'll be doubled by the next week. We could tell lies like that. But the truth is, church, that God is the one who provides for the church. He's the one who saves souls. He's the one who causes growth. We could manipulate people by, by 
by, by doing some type of invitation and convincing people to come forward and kneel down. And that's not necessarily a problem to do that kind of thing. But some, sometimes people manipulate with that. They guilt people in that. Those who are spiritual, if you really love God, you'll come down here, which means that if you stay in your seat, obviously you're not very spiritual. So what is our role as a church? We are to be faithful, to preach the word, to trust God to work. God saves souls. God grows souls. God places leaders in positions. God financially provides. And we are his servants who are called to be faithful. And you know what? If it's up to us to grow this church, if it's up to us to use our own strategies or our own charisma to cause spiritual growth, to cause numerical growth, then who gets the glory? It's us. But if God is the one at work and we are just his faithful servants, then who gets the glory? It's God. Look at verse 7. This should probably be put above every pastor's door. Norm's not here, but if he was, he'd probably go make a placard for me on this. Verse 7. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. Well, that's humbling. That's humbling for those who are in leadership who think that they are everything, that they are the church, or nothing. God is the one who gives the growth. Who is more important, Paul or Apollos? Oh, Apollos, he's a way better communicator. I like him better. Oh, Paul, you know, he, he's, he's the one that stepped out in faith, and Paulus didn't do that. Here, this church was fighting over who was the better leader, who was the better communicator, who was the more important pastor, who was more successful. And they were gauging success according to human standards. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters are one. They're on the same team. <laughs> and one's not more important than the other. No, God's the only one who truly is important. Verse 8. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. The church in Corinth were judging their leaders based upon human standards. Well, Paul's better at this. Well, Apollos is a better communicator. He's way more superior. They were judging their leaders. But who, according to verse 8, who is the judge? Who is the judge? It's God and God is the judge, and he's the one that rewards. And on what basis does he reward? He rewards on the basis of a faithful laborer. Each will receive his wages according to his labor. Which means that serving in the church is work, right? It should be hard work. Whether you're a pastor up here, whether you're serving in the nursery, whether you're serving in another type of ministry, serving the church here is labor, and he rewards according to the labor. And the reward is a heavenly reward. The reward is, is not based upon your charisma. It's not based upon the amount of weekly offerings. Oh, wow, the offerings are up. Doing a good job there. No, it's based upon faithfulness. God owns the church. God appoints leaders. God causes growth. God is the judge. Therefore, we all, not just talking about the pastors and the elders and the deacons, but all of us 
a part of this church, we all must humble ourselves under God, trust God, and be faithful where God has placed you. And where has God placed you? Well, if you're here in Simi Valley, it's here right now. And you know what? Sometimes God moves people on. Now, I'm praying against that. <laughs> I go through the list and pray through the membership, and that is one of the things I pray for, just so you know. So if you're planning to move, I'm praying against that. But when God does move you, I actually cheer for you, and I'm happy. Pastor Roger, they sold their house this past week. Praise God for that. And, and God actually placed him here uh, 42 years ago. He's used him here for the past 42 years. Praise God for that. He has been a faithful laborer. God is moving him to Colorado, and we rejoice with him, and I believe God will use him there. Right? He has been faithful in that regard. That's what God calls us to be, to be his faithful laborers. Look at verse 9. For we are God's fellow workers. We, we serve under him. You are God's field. That's the church, God's building. And did you notice how many times God is identified in this text? Look at verse 5. The Lord assigned your place. Verse 6, God gave the growth. Verse 7, only God who gives the growth. Verse 9, for we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And the point is, you can only grow within the church when the church and when your life is about God and not yourself. And a worldly view of church is to say, church is about me. A biblical view of church is to say, church is about God. So let me give you three more church gardening tips. Worship the master of the field, the master of the church. Worship the master of the field, not the leaders or your own ideals. It's so easy to put up a, a pastor or a spiritual leader on a pedestal, and we all want to do that, don't we? Because we all love idols. We, we love to worship something, but we should only worship God so we need to be careful about that. Don't worship your leaders. Don't worship your, your ideals. We like to think back to those times in our life where, oh, wow, that was a, I remember growing up and how wonderful it was. And if only church used to be, would, would be like that again. Or we think of another church somewhere else. We're like, oh, if only our church was like that. Listen, let's come and let's worship Christ. Our church is not perfect. We know that. And so let's worship the one who is. Third, pray, a second, pray for God's appointed leaders. And when I say that, I'm talking about myself. I'm talking about the elders. I'm talking about the deacons. But I'm also talking about Sunday class teachers. I'm talking about people who lead the children's church. Rachel Default leads the children's church. I'm talking about Jackie, who leads the nursery. I mean, we have leaders in the church. Ron, who leads the security back there. They need your prayers. God has put them in that position. They are serving faithfully in that. And then grow as God's plant and serve as God's laborer. We all need to be growing spiritually. All of us need to be laboring in God's field. Let's ask God for grace in this. Would you bow your head with me in prayer?